Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's your man, Lukey. I don't know what week we're on, but we're on a few weeks into this darker side of boxing. This is the after show. I am your host. And as always, Sean, co-founder of this great program, joins me to basically make me seem way smarter than I am. Sean, thank you once again for bringing me on to talk about this week's episode. You don't give yourself enough credit. I think um, it's been a pleasure having you hosting it, to be honest, because you've been able to take away different elements of the episodes that that we haven't i mean when we create them obviously we put our notes together we go from them notes when we record in these episodes but it's better to have you know a third party who can actually listen to it objectively without any bias really towards it and and i'm pretty sure like if if it was rubbish i'm pretty sure you probably would have told us by now so i'm quite thankful that you know you're quite open and honest like that so it's been it's been great having you on. We're over halfway in now, aren't we? Episode, this is episode six, uh, the Diego Corrales episode, which was <laughs> aptly titled Under the Influence of Diego Corrales. And I said to, I said on the episode, if you've not listened to it yet, then obviously go and listen to it. But I did say at the start and at the end of that episode, like take from that title what you will, because there's many ways to interpret that particular title. Like, Are you referring to his uh, multiple DUIs? Are you referring to... His, his woman beating? Are you referring to his style in the ring? Are you referring to some of the fights he was involved? Many ways in which you could say that title. But you know what? Diego Corrales, uh, did it did it, did it it put him in a different light? I think starting from, from this point, I think for me, for me it did put him in a bit of a different light for, from what I knew of him. And I think for, for Paul Johnston, who obviously is the co-host, who absolutely loves Diego Corrales, has quite openly said at the end of the episode, like, 
it really has sort of swayed his opinion on, on him as a human being. Uh, obviously, he's no longer with us. He's not here to defend himself, like with, with some of their actions, of course. But, do you know, like, when you have this interpretation of a certain individual, like what you think you knew of them, and then it gets completely tarnished in, in a certain way, I think that's kind of what happened with Diego Corrales in this episode. Like, we had our own interpretations of him going into it. By the end of it, we were kind of like, well, actually... You know, there's a lot of different variables like to, to, to Diego Corrales and what we thought they were. I suppose like coming coming over to you and handing the mic to you now, like you you've listened to it quite fresh. What did you what were your first takeaways from it? Well, I, I think just to piggyback on what you said, and then I'll go into my impression is I think that what I always try to do when I make media is I try to be the exact same person where if you and me ate food, which I hope one day you, me and Johnston sit down and we eat because that would just be cool to meet you guys in real life and shake your paws. But I try to always be the same person. So if someone enjoys what I do seamlessly, I'm the same person everywhere. And I think that that's the hardest and the biggest fear I always have when I look up to a writer or a celebrity is is the person I fell in love with, like the Chevy Chase character in those National Lampoon movies, is he completely a different person in real life? Because I love the character from those movies, but is that just something that they're able to play? And I think that's the big fear that we all have as human beings is that the person we fall in love with isn't the actual individual. Now, my interpretation of this was um, basically... I don't I'd read uh, Tris Dixon's book Damaged right and I was I just read that a few months ago because I had him on as a guest not that anyone's interested and the big thing I looked at with this was brain damage because this guy had a lot of trauma which affects the brain and a lot of his actions even from an early age I'm not trying to excuse it but it looks like a pattern of CTE nowadays that's where my mind was it's like a lot of erratic and uncontrollable behavior and i that was that's my first impression starting this conversation people around him though people that were close to him that knew him you know better than the the most they kind of felt like that was just diego diego was just this you know happy-go-lucky guy who was adventurous who would take all these risks and you know he, he kind of some of the quotes that we put into the episode kind of put that into perspective for me. You know, he was talking about living a, a wild, fast, hard life. And, you know, like the irony of it is, is the way he passed away, you know, at high speed on a motorcycle, smashing into the back of a Honda Accord and on into the oncom, oncoming of a Mercedes-Benz. It's just like, you know, I couldn't believe the irony of, of, of his life and how it ended for him. You know, before doing the episode, again, I knew he died in a motorcycle accident. But I didn't realise the extent of what actually happened there, you know, the the detail of it. I always thought Diego Corrales died, it was a motorcycle accident. I never really went and educated myself beforehand on, on how this all happened. But then to learn about it in more detail about the police reports, it's like, oh my God, like this is the guy that lived his life the way he ended his life. And, you know, people around him said that this was him. But this CTE, you know, this CTE comment that you make is is it's interesting because like, a lot of fighters it never gets it never gets sort of diagnosed within them until you know the later years, isn't it? You see all these fighters that that get into the sort of fifties and sixties, and you start to see the the after effects of uh, of what it's like. I mean, there's one person that just popped into my head. Then I think of Tommy Hearns, Tommy the Hitman Hearns, and I think of 
how clear he was, how how clearly spoken he was in the 1980s when he was at the peak of his powers. And then you you watch Tommy Hearns' interview today, and it's you know he's mumbling, he's sort of slurring under his breath, and you think to yourself, that's that's a case right there, isn't it? You know, like that, that's a, a prime example. But with Diego Corrales, he was only 29, so we never really we never really knew whether there was anything there, any trauma there, as a result of obviously. You know what was going on inside the ring, the wars that I was involved in, and obviously there was an autopsy, but the autopsy was mainly based on what the the root cause of of, of his passing was, which you know I think it was quite evident right, on what happened there. But CT is quite an interesting conversation to delve into, isn't it? Like you think a lot of these fighters, uh, when they have this wild and erratic behaviour, there's there's got to be an explanation for it. Like we've done Ike Bayabuchi, and we kind of felt like that was mental health, but. You know, Diego Corrales' behaviour was, was really erratic at times and could be a possible explanation for it. And I was pulling up a story right as you ended up that um, thing because this reminded me of in 2009, there was an American football player, so I'm sure you have an extensive history on this guy being in the UK, but there was a guy named Chris Henry and he was dragged from a moving truck that his wife was driving and he... He, he died, and I remember the story being one of the first cases that I saw of a football player having CTE. And from that, basically, I feel the Chris Henry case kind of like opened up the door for the NFL being like, hey, man, we got to do some changes with the way we do the things here, moving up lines, uh, making things maybe a little less aggressive because I think that they were fearful of a future lawsuit. And I think that this, I'm not saying it's ground zero, but it felt that way. And when I was listening to the way Diego died, it was hard for me to not think about that Chris Henry story, whether, um, whether factual or not, whether whatever, it's just my mind went to this exact story. And I started to think, looking back at all of his sites, looking at his lifestyle, looking at the trauma of his childhood, are we overlooking kind of like an ask? Sometimes the, the clearest explanation is the most simple explanation. And I just wondered, are we overlooking the elephant in the room to be more poetic or excuse it as this is who he was? Yeah, I think, I think that's quite possibly. And I think because of where CT is now, a CTE, CTE awareness is now compared to what it was in 2007 when he died. I think that's his, this is why these conversations start to happen, don't they? Of when these incidents occur at the time, like if there's no awareness of CTE, then nobody's really going to point to that being a reason as to why he was so erratic and why he, he made some really poor choices, you know, in in his personal life. But then, fast forward all these years later, and, and there's so much aware, more awareness of it now. Trish has obviously done that great book, and then there's been Netflix documentaries, the Aaron Hernandez one in particular that I, I caught uh, last year was, was really interesting. And obviously it gave me more of an insight for, from that perspective as to how CTE affected the football players in America. Uh, obviously it's not a sport we, a lot of us actively follow, uh, but it does have a bit of a, a bit of a gathering over here, but there's not like, it's not something I actively follow. But when watching that documentary and, and hearing from the different people involved in the documentary, my mind goes to there. My mind goes to, to, to what he was like and, and some of the actions he he chose to do in his life which which led to his to his demise not all the same circumstances obviously some some different extremes in there but the wild behaviors the the erraticness the 
you know, sort of turning that, that switch, like a light switch, you know, one minute, you know, this guy could be the nicest guy in the world and the next, you know, he's, he's really not nice to be around and he's beating the hell out of his 98-pound, five-foot wife at the time. He's like, why? What, 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 what enraged him so much to want to do something like that in his life and what enraged him so much to decide that, you know, I'm going to drink and I'm going to drive at the same time and I'm just going to be a bit carefree. Surely there is something there, isn't there, that, that kind of makes an individual make them choices. Like, whether it is an underlying condition that's never been diagnosed or never been caught, or whether it is just sort of generally that that, that person had some form of mental health issue before, before they arrived. It does beg an interesting question. Like, did Diego Corrales have CTE? Well, I, I think to go even deeper, like, imagine Diego Corrales didn't do Hall of Fame things and he wasn't Diego Corrales. If we looked at this as a guy just named Diego, how would the conversation be different? Because I think that if this was a regular guy named Diego who went to a boxing gym and had fights, but was this crazy outside of the ring, we might say there's something a little wrong here. But I think when it's someone doing something extraordinary, it's easier to say, okay, this guy's, this guy's just a, love loves life he goes highs he goes lows and i think that's a dangerous aspect of celebrity is we fall in love with these moments because they mean so much to us and they're so great but we excuse the rational world and explanations of what's happening and i listening to this story it felt like he was one of the most evident stories to me at least of someone that experienced some form of damage through the sport of boxing yeah, but you look at you got to look at the fights he was involved in and the the punishment that he, you know he, he takes in some of these fights. You know he's not he wasn't just a guy who who was a great fighter, but he was a guy that wasn't afraid to stand center ring and go toe to toe with the other fighter, or you know fight off with his back to the ropes and fight off the ropes and and fight on the inside. He wasn't afraid to do that, so he was always going to be open to to receiving shots to to land his shots, and that was the type of fighter that he was. And I think the Castillo fight is ultimately the fight where you look at it, and as much as we look at it with a sort of rose-tinted glasses, where we think of, oh my God, this is an amazing fight. The other side of us, if we take them rose-tinted glasses off, look at it from a different perspective, now we've had this conversation, you might actually look at it a little bit different, you think to yourself, yeah, actually, look at the beating he took in that fight. That was a hell of a beating. Surely that would have, that would have caused some long-lasting damage. At that point, that was 2005 when he had that fight with, with Jose Luis Castillo, the first fight, the legendary night. Do you know, think of that fight and then think of the rematch. The rematch wasn't as good as the first, but it was still in a hellacious fight for as long as it lasted. Think of them sustained fights and sustained beatings. Like, they give, it gives you another question. The other question is then, is it, as a fighter, is it is it better to, you know, absorb multiple, multiple punishment in fights, multiple rounds of punishment in fights, or is it is it better to just take the one punch KO knockout and have done with it? Like that, that starts to creep into my mind as to, you know, wh which is the better way you like to deal with it. If you're that type of a fighter, do you just sustain the punishment uh, and deal with it? Or do you, you know, you end up being knocked out and then you carry on and you're okay. You know, there's, for me, there's, there's different, there's different thoughts that go through my mind when, when it comes to fighters like Diego Corrales, because I think what you rightly pointed out, and I, and I want to reiterate as well is you're talking about certain fighters, certain incidents, certain events get overshadowed by 
their their celebrity status in the world, their their celebrity status in the sport, and people don't look past that, and they only see what they want to see, which is a great fighter, an amazing fight. They don't look past it, and that's why I'm saying now, if we go back and watch that fight again, the first Castillo fight, and you watch it with, this could be a potentially a fight that caused CTE, you'd probably watch it back and go, actually, yeah, 100%. That, that's the fight, you know. That's the fight that caused it, or the sustained beating he got from Floyd Mayweather. You could look at them two fights and say they they were the catalyst for for what came next. I mean, if you look at it like basically a five to six per- year period, he had a tough fight with Floyd Mayweather. He fought Casamayor, Cas Joel Casamayor, three different occasions, all very tough fights. He fought Castillo twice. And then on his last fight, he moved up to the highest, I believe, of his weight and fought Joshua Cloudy. These were all brutal fights. These None of these were um, what we'd say is tactical, um, working through defensive exp- exp- uh, defensive exhibits, something you'd pull up and be like, man, this was... Every single legendary Diego Corrales fight was a war. You know, even if he lost, it was a war. It was a battle of hardship. It was his battle of his will. It's what made people love him. And I think that when you look back, the Floyd fight was brutal. Like the way Floyd did him was brutal. I think that even the Casa Mayor fight was pretty, pretty brutal. Um, just a lot of wars consecutively. Yeah, this is it, and you, you know we're starting to delve into this conversation, and the more and more we verbalise it to each other, the more and more my mind starts to race even further, and I start to think actually, you know what Luke is saying is right here, and what you're saying is right, and then I start to think, hang on a minute, you know you look back at them fights, all of a sudden you start to look down a different path than what you initially thought about. You know we start this conversation with a guy who is by all accounts just an adventurous guy who who just likes to take risks. But now we're 10, 15 minutes into the conversation. Now we're talking about the real, you know, the real possibility that this guy could have actually had CTE and it was undiagnosed and that he went through a number of years with it, which ultimately led to some of them poor choices outside of the ring. I could quite easily be the simplest explanation. I mean, I would, I would love for it to have been, you know, confirmed. I would love for, you know, for the, for the autopsy reports to be dug up and to be able to be like looked at again and, 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 and reassessed by someone independently to, to understand whether they're actually, you know, what did they do when they looked at his brain? Did they have a look at his brain? Did they see any sustained punishment? Surely with a boxer, surely when you're doing an autopsy on, on a boxer, whether it's 29 or 59 or 69 years old, surely, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd want to know, the science of it would want to know the effects of somebody who, who goes in the ring for a living. And this is something that's standing out to me doing Lukey research live. I'm being the producer and a co-host right here. So he gets stopped by Casa Mayor in October. I actually got stopped on my birthday, October 4th, 2003. I don't want to tell people how old I was back then, but I was a lot younger. There were a lot more attractive women in my life. It was beautiful, but I got attractive women now in my life. So Five months later, he fought Casamayor and beat him, but was also knocked down in that fight. So that means within two and a half months of being knocked out, he probably was back in the gym training for that fight. And then a little over a year was the first Castillo fight. And then five minutes, five months after that, he fought Castillo again. And then 
a year later, he fought Casamayor in, Mayor in the third fight. It doesn't seem like a big gap, but those are pretty short windows for as hellacious those fights are. The closest equivalent I can think of is Brandon Rios is activity after um, Alvarado, but even that wasn't as quick. Does that seem a little fast in those turnarounds to you? It does, doesn't it? Again, when you verbalize it like that, when you you, you run through, it's not even just like the, the short turnarounds. It's the level of competitiveness of them fights, isn't it? It's not like he's getting in the ring every two to three months and fighting guys that you know are not really landing much on him. He's fighting guys that are landing on, on him constantly. You know that uh, are giving him these really tough, hard fights. He's getting knocked down in some of them, and he's coming back and he's winning or he's losing. But yeah think about it like that you know the more and more we start to talk about it i start to feel like we're going down this rabbit hole of of conspiracy of like Diego Corrales and CTE and, and and quite simply that could have been the cause of a lot of his issues outside of the ring and you know we're no medical professionals of course we, we're not saying he had it but the more and more we talk about it the more and more we sort of start to put this jigsaw together to me the more and more it feels like actually they could quite well have been an undiagnosed problem, which could have been CTE, which then could have led to the problems he had, which led to his untimely demise. Well, I think that the reason I wanted to bring this up is, first off, he was a local guy. Ray Woods has been a Sacramento coach in my area for years, and Ray's a focal point of the story. But I think with Chico, I think it's easy to look at him and go, okay, he did a lot of bad things outside of the ring. But when I read this story, what, oh my God, I'm doing the thing people hate again. The the guy who in Alcatraz got shut down because he stole bread and then he turned into a murderer. I forget the guy's name, but there there's a case where someone basically got imprisoned in Alcatraz as a child trying to steal bread to feed his family. And then he committed a violent act in the prison, which basically said to the world he had learned to be a criminal and a and a violent person via the conditions of this inhumane prison. And looking at this story with Chico, I feel like the sport of boxing kind of put him in the position not to blame boxing as a sport, but it's like, I don't completely think that this was all Chico. I think that this was all various factors. And I think the sport of boxing probably didn't help anything with what was going on with him. So do you think he was maybe some of the environment that he was around? Like, we, we, we look at the story and we look at, you know, the early beginnings of the story and he, he obviously, we felt like he might have witnessed some incidents when, he's, when his father was around and then his father obviously quickly left because his father was involved in, in gangs and, and drugs and guns and, you know, he did the right thing by, by stepping away. And he said, to be honest with you, when we, we did that episode, we kind of walked away from that feeling like, you know, he wasn't really a very nice guy. Like the stories and the interviews that that were put out by Fire Hype in 2010, to me, kind of portrayed him as a not very nice, very very poor, absent father. Whereas his mom Olga and and obviously stepfather Ray Woods were the ones that give him that stability in life. But still, even with the stability there, was he already tarnished by 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 the streets around him by? The fact that, you know, he knew who his dad was and he knew what his dad was, was doing, what he was capable of. And did he witness something as a child that, that kind of, you know, like this sort of traumatic event that, that stuck with him? I mean, we'll, we'll obviously never know now, but 
again, it begs the question as to whether some of these you know, incidents that occurred, some of these moments that were probably pivotal in his life, also played a factor along with the other conversation that we've just been having about CTA. I, I kind of feel like there's there's definitely elements of, of his environment that have created the parts of him which weren't the, the good parts of him, weren't the parts that that people really liked and, and, and obviously like I said he led to them poor choices. Uh the the one in particular, the the beating of his uh, his ex wife or then wife at the time, Maria Corrales, was is quite horrific, you know, the detail that we was able to get for it, like the, the literally what he did in detail. I was like when going back over it, I was like, you know, Dale Corrales, like, don't get me wrong, he wasn't a giant of the world, but he was still you know, he'd still been trained to hurt people he'd been trained to hurt people and yet his wife who's really petite really really small and he's just beating on her like because of an incident where he felt like he was being pranked at the time and he just went into a fit of rage and it's that fit of rage which we can go back to cte with like why did he go into a fit of rage over something so trivial like you know you think of these stories like the american football stories aaron hernandez this guy went into a fit of rage over absolutely nothing it's, again, it just makes me think more and more. Like, there's definitely elements that we that we that we won't know about or never know about that are probably elements that caused him to be the way he was. But I think also to look at the environment he's from. He's from Oak Park, and fans of rap music probably know a rapper named Mozzie, who's a very famous rapper now. And there's there's always been a feud between Oak Park and G Parkway. And I know this is not that fascinating to many people, but why I bring that up is. Since an early age, Diego probably had to be aware of where he was in a very small city of Sacramento. And Oak Park to South Sacramento actually isn't that far. You can actually, like all bad areas, right? The warring faction is within walking distance or you can accidentally go there. And these areas are notorious for murders. You know, they're notorious for people shooting young people, notorious for making statements about people from rival gangs or rival associates. And I think something that people don't always think about with street life or gang culture is if you have prominence even outside of a gang, but you have friends who are in gangs, you can become a target. And I think that that trauma can weigh on a young person, even if they're not around gangs. And I don't know the role his father was in the streets, but now let's say he has a reputation that's going to make you even more of a target. So I think that on top of what he might have had in the boxing, I'm now imagine an emotional stress that there's literal people roaming these streets that if they see you looking weak, they might target you because that is the environment he grew up in. Something that you said at the start of the episode as well was about this this sort of facade that he that he had to maybe put on or this this persona that he he fronted, you know, for everybody else around him you know for for the people watching on the outside there was a big front about him and that's what many people said there was one particular quote in there and uh forgive me because i can't forget it i can't remember off the top of my head but there's a quote in there and it mentions about him like having a twinkle in his eye but this sort of facade of him and and maybe that was the facade you're referring to there when you talk about you know being being a part of these particular areas you know you have to you have to be strong even if inside you're not you know, mentally fully strong, you have to be strong because otherwise you're going to get picked apart. You know, these streets, like, I can't emphasize that every city in every nation has them. 
you know there's always bad areas no matter where you go in the usa which is a much bigger place than where we are but even in the uk in such a small little island in the world and yet we have areas that you just can't go in if you go in them areas they you know they're usually filled by certain gangs and at the moment you know in the uk stabbings are rife so you can't sort of feel like you can go anywhere without the fear of of, of gangs with people you know young lads with knives and i think that was probably like the environment he was living in and you know better than me because it's obviously more geographically uh in in your region but i can only relate to it from what i know around where i live and where i've grown up and it's i think no matter where you are in the world people always have the same human instincts to to be a certain way and to act a certain way and they have to do that otherwise if they don't they'll just get picked apart and bullied and and god forbid killed you know as a result of of being this weak member of of, of this particular gang or this weak member of this particular area they get targeted for that reason so if you're diego corrales and you're growing up in this and your father's got a reputation and maybe that reputation is known by by some of these street gangs maybe it wasn't maybe it was but even still you've got to put this front on you've got to act like you you know you are as hard as anybody out there that you can stand up for yourself and at times you've got to be able to back it up and i think maybe that that facade was something that he he put up at a very young age and that he always kept there and that was diego corrales and that was the way he was and if you combine that with other conversations that we've had you know it kind of would explain a lot about the way he's gone through his life so you know, if you're listening to the story, you start to get a bit of a picture of, like, you know, this is a guy who, who's who gone through some really tough stuff in, in his younger days. He's seemingly come out of the other side of it, but yet, you know, he's, he's beating on his wife and he's, he's, he's getting drunk and he's driving and he's, he's becoming involved in incidents that he shouldn't be coming involved in even though he's got this this celebrity status as a, as a famous boxer who who's won world titles, who's doing so well, who's in one of the best fights of all time. And it just felt like he... Everything that he that he did, he just completely wasted it. He threw literally threw everything away by by that by that one act of getting on his motorcycle uh, with uh, with with under the influence of, of of alcohol and then crashing and and ultimately dying. It's like twenty nine years old at the time. It's like how many? What would he have done? Would he have done anything more? Would he have been involved in more fights? Of course he would, but. You know, at the age of 29, you just feel like this is just a life that was completely wasted. And by all accounts as well, he was actually getting his life back on track in the sense that he'd learned his lesson, supposedly, from the the beating of his wife. And he was with Michelle instead and they'd have more kids together. And, you know, he was a doting father. He loved his kids. And it seemed like he was getting to a good place in his life. And he seemed to be, he seemed to have a grasp on his career, you know, in terms of the management aspects of his career. He seemed to be getting a grasp on that, although, you know, Gary Shaw says differently, and he, he then obviously chose to sue Diego Corrales and a golden boy. He signs with them. They give him an advance, and really that, that shouldn't have happened, but it kind of felt like, for me at the time, he was starting to get things back on track, but then he has this one moment again, and it just, and this, this one moment, ultimately, you can't come back from. And I always say two thoughts, but literally two thoughts, because you had it. Um, Something that I experience in my own life, because someone once pulled up on me off of posting my where I was on IG, I have utter paranoia about using social media platforms and letting people know where I am. And I feel like Diego 
probably had that same feeling, but in an era where social media wasn't as relevant. So I think that that's like the context I look for what his environment shaped him. Like you can kind of tell if someone's been through some trauma um, based on their social media presence because they don't want to overshare. And what you were also saying, I was kind of thinking, I was listening to 50 Cent last night, an interview of him. And he was talking about why people don't make it from the hood that are rappers and they make music just for the neighborhood. They don't make music for the nation. So why would the nation listen to your music music if it's a five block radius music? If your music's from Martin Luther King down to Malcolm X High School, what's the point of the world listening? And I think that Diego was capturing the world's attention, but his mindset might not have been a worldwide mindset. And I think that that also plays a factor along with the other issues was where was his mind in terms of everything going around? Well, this is something we'll unfortunately never, never really truly understand. We can only speculate, of course. And, you know, people might be watching this and, and listening to us and thinking, you know, you're really, you're really jumping the gun a bit here with this sort of CTE talk. But like I said, I keep saying it to you, Luke, and I say it to everybody watching and listening, like, the more you verbalise it, and the more you start to put this sort of picture together, it's not it's not out of the realms of possibility, is it, really? Like, it's definitely not out of the realms of possibility. So many fights in a short space of time, really punishing fights, really fight, fights that, you know, would essentially cause somebody to, to suffer some long-term injuries as a result of it. And then, then the choices that were being made as well as a result of it. And the, the good points that you've made about you know, the, these people just brushing certain things under the carpet, the general public brushing a lot of these behaviours under the carpet because they just think it's the way they are, you know, or oh, that's the way he's supposed to be, that's the way he's supposed to act. Like, you, you see it now, you see, you know, people are, are putting all these facades on social media, like, and, and in reality, they're not always the same people. Like, it's in, in some strange way, it's like kind of catfishing. You know, these people are putting this persona out, on, on social media that they're a certain individual when in reality they could be really troubled individuals that use this as an outlet to be able to you know express themselves in the way they see fit and i kind of feel like diego corrales was a guy that used his traumas and his issues and put it all into this persona of a certain individual to to sort of express some of his feelings and the more you know you think about things and the more you think about some of the interviews and his, his actions and his words, the more you start to feel like, yeah, that's exactly it. That, this is this is what Diego Corrales was all about. It's like he was a facade upon the real him uh, and that not many of us really knew who he really was and that some of these actions that he that, that he did outside of the ring were, were him. You know, they, that, they were the, that was the real version of him. It's just that, you know, we didn't get to see that from our perspective because we was watching him with the interest of him you know being a professional boxer and a world champion and being involved in, in some fantastic fights doing a work text message and then you jumped in there but i i'm still um i'm still the host with the most it's so hard to separate celebrity right because we we love you and me are boxing fans and those those castillo corrales fights at least for my generation, your generation, there's some of the greatest boxing moments. It's like Barrera, Morales, uh, Castillo, Corrales. These are the fights that make us love it. It's basically, this is why we tune in on Saturday and Friday night. We tune in that a fight turns into this and we're watching in real time, getting these tingles like we're a child and bringing us back to something innate 
that made us just love a fist fight. It goes back to the schoolyard. We're like, oh my God, but it's, it's even more compelling. And I think that it's so hard. It's like almost like these pro wrestling documentaries. I look at all these wrestlers and they were superheroes and I was just thinking they could do anything. And then you find out they're struggling just like me. And I think it's just, it's a hard realization of living as a human being to realize people that meant so much to your life and were definitive moments are just as troubled as you are, no matter how rich, no matter how famous they are, they still have issues. So what did you take away? What did you start with when you when you listened to the episode? And what did you take away in the sense that, like for John, I give Johnson as a good example. He he started the episode, you know, loving your Diego Corrales as, as the boxer, as as the as the fighter. But by the end of it, you know, he's realizing that Diego Corrales wasn't sort of the great man that I think maybe we all thought he was because of a lot of these things that happened outside of the ring. Did you feel the same? Do you have any change of opinion, or you know, did you did you always have sort of these two things separated with him as a fighter and him as a human? Great question, and that's why I love uh, you being here because you can switch it up and make me have to think. But um, my initial fear was terror because uh, I know Ray Woods, and I was like, oh my god, this story might be crazy, and I might run into Ray or someone, and get in a lot of trouble. So my first impression was, I really hope we don't touch on subject matters where I run into someone and they're very mad at me that we talked about issues because I'm going to see them in public and I have to answer for that. So that was my initial feeling. I left this story feeling very sad for Chico because like, not unlike, um, let me figure out who that guy is, but I, I think that another example, and it could be, um, case that shut it down would be like a rick ross the the drug dealer right it always felt like rick ross was a a a cog in the system of drug dealing that was coming to america it didn't feel like he was the the thing so when he went down it felt kind of like it was it was an inevitable fall guy it's kind of sad seeing that sure there's bad things, but you never really want to like, it didn't feel as dastardly. And when I saw uh, this Alcatraz story, which I'm so terribly prepared for it, uh, I'm struggling with my words, but I'm basically just saying I left this story feeling like it was the system that did Diego wrong as opposed to Diego making bad choices. And I felt sad. And I brought up two examples, in my opinion, where I feel like it was people that meant well and the system was what changed um, them. So do you mean in the sense like because of the time that he spent in, in prison for 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 the, the assault on Maria? Do you feel like he should have had more time? Do you feel like he was given not enough time and not enough time to be able to rehabilitate from from that incident or do you feel there were other things at play that around him that like didn't really help his, his situation i mean I'll just tell you my thought first of all because obviously like it's interesting you talk about ray woods and you know he's someone you, you you likelihood is you will see him at some point after this episode uh in past consider him a friend literally consider him a friend so it's going to be interesting because obviously he was closer to him than anybody like 
that we could that we could call upon. So he would be a best the best person to sort of give us a, a real insight into the mind. We can only go off like the reports of of what is available to us to put together unless we can speak to someone like Ray who can really give you a different perspective on things, which is always good to get that perspective on things. But I, I kind of took away with it for me like Diego Corrales was, was was a brilliant, brilliant fighter who, yeah, he wasn't wasn't essentially like legendary, but he was a very good fighter and he he was a great dance partner for many other great fighters out there. He achieved what he set out to achieve in his boxing career. He probably achieved more than maybe what people initially thought he might go on to achieve. The other thing was I thought he had a, a pretty outstanding you know, amateur pedigree as well. I think he did really well as an amateur. It was quite evident with Ray, you know, around that that influence was was very much needed to get him to where he needed to go. And the support he had from his mum and from Ray sounded absolutely fantastic. You know, the way they would literally spend all their money on getting him to where he needed to go uh, across the country and all these different places, tournaments, etc. And then there was the incident, obviously, with Maria, which was the worst incident of the lot. Uh, in terms of, of, of what was out there, uh, the incidents with the DUIs, and then it was just like, you know, you can kind of feel like just there's a guy here just sort of slipping off the rails who probably needed a bit of intervention, a bit of rehabilitation, and, and as you rightly pointed it out, I feel like maybe he was, he was failed by not so much people around him, but, the, the you know, the, the sort of general... I think, I think he was failed by the justice system. I think, the, you know, they didn't give him... Society, society yeah. failed him. Boxing failed him. Society failed him. He looked like someone who was trying his best and he had people that literally were trying their best to do the best for him and that the structures of American society failed Diego. I entered this story being very fearful that I'd say something that would make it awkward for me moving forward in my life. And I left feeling like Diego was a prisoner of circumstance potentially dealing with CTE, um, the justice system never really rehabilitating him, never really helping him, if anything, creating habitual patterns and comforts and bad decisions, and boxing never really seeming to help him to the extent of having these quick returns, um, probably being prompted by money. It just felt like the structure of the world that was created around him created a chaotic environment that didn't nurture him the way that he probably needed it and how many other fighters has this happened to you know not all of them not all of them go down the route of diego and unfortunately pass away too early but some of them you know feel the effects of it for for the years that they were with us on the planet and and you see some of them go fall on really hard times and you know diego his untimely demise was, was for me it was sad like you know, I didn't look at it in, in in another way other than that. I felt sadness. Like, I felt sad that, you know, there was, like you said, society failed him. Like, there were things that probably could have been done that could have helped. But I ultimately still, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of, it doesn't take away anything from his boxing career for me. Like, doing this episode didn't take anything away from that. If anything, it made me feel like I had a lot more uh, love for him when it comes to his boxing career because of the struggles that he went through because you know he he was he had no choice to fight Floyd Mayweather uh, at 130 rather than 135 you know like you know these are the types of things where i kind of felt like you know he he just went and did it and he just got on with it and it wasn't like you know it wasn't he wasn't this guy who seemed to 
bring up all these challenges and objections. He, he was just told that he was going to have to fight a certain individual at this weight and crack on with it, no matter how hard he tried to, to make the weight or no matter how much struggles he had to make the weight, which were quite evident uh, from all the accounts in the episode, that he really struggled you know, as, as time went on. And how he got through that, I'll never know. Like how some of these fighters get through making weight, I'll, I really will truly never know and never fully understand or appreciate. And for that, like for his boxing career, and for the fact that he did get inducted into the Sacramento Hall of Fame last year, I felt that was a bit of a fitting tribute to to end the episode uh, with his boxing career and focusing on that element of his life, because I kind of feel like no matter no matter what which way I look at it, I still take away the fact that he was one of the great boxers of, of that modern era, of them two, that 2000s era, uh, that will be sadly missed, uh, will always be appreciated as a fighter, and that will, you know, will always live on in the memory of, of those that got to, to live through his era and, and him in the ring. He was, he was a great fighter. It's just sad that society did fail him and didn't help him to become a better man when he needed him to. I think that what makes this story sad for me is it feels like a story of forgiveness and I'm, a, I'm in my own head. I feel like I'm writing a Western book and I, I like reading Westerns and I, I really am. I'm trying to work on a Western story and Diego Corrales feels like a character I'd pen in a Western, right? He has all this anger and frustration in his early life, all this trouble. And it's like, we never got the act where he pulled himself away from society. Like he feels like society rejected him. And then like, maybe in his 40s or late 30s it's the forgiveness tour how do i make amends with myself for my because that's typically the trope with these is you see someone that they're very young they're very angry and there's a lot of problems and then there's a level of compassion at some point with the mortality and i think that what makes this story sad for me was we never got the forgiveness element to the story which i think we all wanted and i think that that's on top of Tapia being more, I think, um, more fan-friendly, I'll put it, um, he had that element where we all got to shower him with praise at a point before he passed away. Chico yeah. never got that moment where we got to tell him he's great and he got to be, come back and be the likable fighter that we wanted, whether it was true or not. I think that that hurts the story, is that we never got the forgiveness. That is, is, is sad, isn't it? That's, 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 for me, it is a struggle to, to sort of comprehend that, you know, we never got the opportunity to be able to not only see, you know, these other fights that potentially could have happened, but also, like, him being revered by his peers the way I think he, he probably should have, should have done. And unfortunately, sometimes it, it only comes when bad things like this happen in, in people's lives. Like, when somebody dies untimely like everyone comes out of the woodwork and everybody says oh he was the greatest this and he was great and he was that or she was great or whatever but at the time people don't always appreciate them for who they are and what they are and what they bring to the table and i feel like that was that was him at the time like nobody appreciated him not not the entire boxing world anyway there was obviously a lot of people that did and i'm not discounting them but what i mean is like the general the general consensus of, of the public didn't fully appreciate him and the general boxing fan didn't fully appreciate him until after he was gone. And that's the sad part about it. And, and I suppose, like, when we do these episodes, you know, we, we're not just here to bring all the bad stuff to the forefront. We're also trying to tell a story of, you know, 
how someone can be the product of an environment and how sometimes these choices can lead to great things and sometimes they can lead to bad things uh, but ultimately it doesn't take away anything from the story of who these people were in terms of what they what we know them for which is being a fighter being a boxer being a world champion you know it never takes anything away from that and i think that's what we we love doing these episodes and you know people might look at it and think bloody hell diego corrales bloody hell he's a woman beater is this he's that right you know he made some poor choices whether they were influenced by underlying cte whether they, it was society that failed him whatever it was you know, it doesn't take away anything from the legacy that I left behind in such a short space of time. And that, for me, was, was what I thought about quite hard after finishing recording and editing the episode. I was thinking, Diego Corrales, you know what? He actually left such a great legacy behind him in such a short space of time. And the sad aspect of it is he wasn't able to fully make amends for some of them poor choices and wasn't able to be fully appreciated until years after the fact. I mean, he wasn't inducted into the Sacramento Hall of Fame until last year. I mean, why is it? Why did it take so long for him to to be inducted? Like that's that's the question I would ask. I mean, there might be a reasonable explanation for it, but and I, I didn't think, know. Yeah. I'm the local media here, and I I wasn't even aware until my friend from the UK told me. So I mean, that tells you kind of where it was. Just goes to show you though that it wasn't obviously. It mustn't have been made that public, really. Like. If you didn't know about it and you are from the area and you recover boxing and we cover boxing, I didn't know about it. And I'm thinking, why Why wasn't this conversation had? Like, why wasn't it celebrated? It should have been celebrated. And I hope that when people listen to the episode, you know, they will take elements of it away where they think Diego Corrales might have been this or he might have been that. But I hope people do understand, like, what his boxing career was all about, what he left behind, the, the, the positive legacy that he did leave behind in the sport, because he will always be remembered by many as this great fighter, world champion, who had one of the greatest fights of all time. And that mark has been left. That will always be there. And that's the great thing about it. It's like, no matter what happens 10, 15, 20 years down the line, people of, of our generation, or before that even, will still always talk about that fight. So it just goes to show you, he, no matter what happens and no matter what people say about him, good or bad, he's left his mark in the sport. And I just want to kind of conclude before you give a give a teaser on next week is, he kind of reminds me when you said all that of a rock star, like Jim Morrison, Amy Winehouse, right? A troubled genius. And part of like, we accept their troubled genius because they give us music. But when it's a fighter and the fighting carries outside of the ring, all of a sudden it's in a bad light when Nikola Tesla has a nervous breakdown and claims to have an Edgar Allan Poe type hypersensitivity to perception. And he's sitting in a room and he's trying to figure out modern technologies in the 18, whatever it was, people accept that as genius. And I think that one thing I'm sensitive to is we don't look at fighters as geniuses, but Corrales was a genius because he gave us a fight that we're going to always care about and always remember. And I think that we sometimes hold fighters to different standards because the way the damage impacts their brain and the way they act out is going to look different to other geniuses in art. But I think we have to tread carefully because there's a fine line of being over-romanticizing but there's also another side where 
Well, this rock star was basically an alcoholic, did a lot of womanizing and stuff. And we just remember him for just playing these super good songs that we tap our toes to. But then when it's a boxer, we just talk about Carlos Monzon and every bad thing he did, which is rightfully brought up. But it's kind of a weird juxtaposition how the boxer is viewed as the barbarian and the artist is viewed as the craftsman. I know it's a good it's a good way of comparing it because we we did say in the episode uh, or specifically me I did say you know he reminds me of a rock star he reminds his life reminded me of a rock star you know like there was all these incidents that occurred inside and you know outside of his uh, outside of his chosen art or his chosen sport and he's like and and the fact that he did, his demise was so young it just reminds me of all these people that have gone way too soon and you mentioned a couple of names there and and rightly so there's many of them there's many of them like that that have gone too soon and diego was just another another name to add to that list although he's not particularly a rock star he probably was in boxing you know that's a, that's a good way of, of, of talking about him okay so let's just wrap this up so i appreciate this great conversation about corrales who am i learning about all of us learning about next week what is the episode that we are going to go deep dark and depressing on it's probably going to be a different episode for a lot of people, this one. Uh, 1980s heavyweight, former WBC heavyweight champion, Pinklin Thomas. I don't know how much you know about him. I do. Mike Tyson fan watched it over the COVID. <laughs> I actually went on a... I love how, like, somehow I'm well-versed, but I went on a Pinklin Tom, Thomas... Uh, Pinklin, however you say his last name. I went on a binge during COVID-19. So, yep. So, Pinklin think about like the elements of his life where there were many different elements of his life whilst becoming WBC heavyweight champion and, and making his mark in boxing history. He also had issues outside of the ring with drugs, with crime. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting this one done. And the reason I say this now, and it might be a little bit of a sneaky exclusive here, but I went, I went and reached out to Pinklin because I felt like, you know, some of these episodes that we've done, we've been able to speak to the author of some of the books or, you know, we've been able to reach out to certain people that have been involved with people that are affiliated with the, the, the people that we're speaking about. But I realised that Pinklin actually had social media and I contacted him and I basically said, look, we've got this show, we're doing this, are you interested? Do you want to do it? And he's like, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm interested. So we'll be doing the episode on Pinklin and then we'll be doing the after show together. And then there'll be a, an addendum with Pinklin himself to, uh, to actually talk about not just his boxing career, but obviously some of these notorious moments throughout his life, which I think will be really great to get an insight into directly from the words of the man that lived it. Well, my deep dive on him was I remember seeing Angelo Dundee in his corner. So I remember over quarantine, I was kind of looking through all these famous trainers that people say, oh, you got to watch this guy. You got to watch that guy. And I remember I got fixated on him because he fought a lot of guys and he had Angelo Dundee in his corner. So I'm interested because I don't really know a ton about him, except that he had Angelo Dundee in his corner. He fought Mike Tyson. And that's, I think, the extent of what I know. I don't want to. I guess he fought maybe Riddick Bowe, Mike. Did he fight Michael Hunter's dad? Maybe did he fight Larry Holmes? Like, I'm just kind of winging it. <laughs> well, I think all will be revealed in the next episode. I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away because I think like people want to want, want them to hear the story in its entirety 
first before they uh, before people make their own sort of judgments on on Pinkland, not just as an individual but as a boxer, what he achieved in his in his career, uh, and obviously all being well, and he and he, he does commit, and we get him on to. Uh, as an addendum for the show, then hopefully we'll be able to get some more insight into what we're able to put together for it and what we're able to deliver to people. I think it's just a different story. Again, you know, it's the story of a man who's still here, who can actually still, you know, justify and, and explain and give reason behind why some things happened in his life. And I think it'll be great to, to have that additional, uh, whereas it's not something we've been able to, to get before because a lot of the people we cover nine times out of ten are not, are not with us are they you know no longer with us anymore like mitch green obviously was the exception to the rule of, of somebody who is is still around who who we'd love to get on like we said last week but pinkland thomas is probably the first one that's probably going to be we're actually going to be able to get him on where we can speak to him and actually raise a few good points with him and let him you know answer some of these questions and let him answer uh some, some of the bits of information and, and tell us some more stories that we might not already know well, he's also from the era of the great nicknames because looking at his resume, he fought terrible Tim Witherspoon, and they don't make nicknames like they did in the 80s and the 90s. Nowadays, the nicknames are much less cooler than they seem to be back then. <laughs> yeah, typical 80s, typical 80s, isn't it? 80s boxing, like underrated era. People say it was one of the, the poorest areas of boxing, but actually, you know, I, I would have loved to have... Uh, I was born in the 80s, but I would have loved to have lived in the 80s and been able to experience the sport then because there's so many stories from that, that era that we've covered for different pods that, you know, we, we really enjoyed it. And I think, like, we would have loved to have had the feeling of being around boxing at that time. I mean, people might say golden era, 1970s, but, you know, uh, having a love for all things 80s anyway, I think he's kind of like the chosen destination, you know, should have had the opportunity to... Uh, to get in a DeLorean and go back and find out what it was like. Uh, but yeah, Pinkland Thomas next week then, Luke. Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, episode seven, you know, we're fast approaching the end of the season. Yeah, it's flying by. I'm going to definitely do some research. I'm going to watch 8-Bit Christmas. I'm going to go back to the 80s. I'm going to be break out the Nintendo. And I'm excited to go through this because yet again, you guys have picked another fighter that I'm not mad to research. Well, this is the beauty of it, isn't it? You know, it's 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 getting these individuals like and telling their stories and and putting these stories out there again and, and reminding people that may have lived through that era and remember fighters like Pinkland Thomas, like what he was all about. You know, was he a great fighter? Well, obviously, because he wouldn't be a WBC heavyweight champion. So we get to experience all that once more and we get to experience elements of the 1980s once more and and also crime, drugs and. Again, just a whole rock and roll lifestyle. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Episode 7 next week. Okay, let's go. I'm excited. Uh, tune in and uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. That's it. Thanks so much, Lukey. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for watching. We'll see you next time. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.